All right, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 987. I want to begin this morning by thinking of what I perceive as a common problem for many people when we talk about living a holy life. So last week we, we talked about living a holy life. Today we're going to continue on that in 1 Thessalonians 4. But here's the problem that I see. The problem is that sometimes we minimize the scope of holiness so that holiness is simply between me and the Lord and in my ability to follow the commands of Scripture and to not do bad things. To summarize the problem, I say we have an over-individualized view of holiness. Now, this is definitely a part of holiness, as we saw last week. But again, sometimes our problem is not that we necessarily believe the wrong thing, but that our views of the things of God are so narrow that we miss the larger picture. What do I mean by that? Last week, we emphasized what not to do. If you go back, you read verses 1 to 8, you see it's a lot of don't do this. But this week, the emphasis is going to be on, well, then what should I do? Right? And we talked about last week, there's, there's two sides of the same coin. And we use this in parenting or grandparenting, not as much in grandparenting, but definitely in parenting. Don't do this. Instead, do this. But there's another different emphasis this week. So last week, we focused on that a holy life is pleasing to God. And we saw that last week, walk in a way that is pleasing to God. But there's a different emphasis this week as to the purpose of living a holy life. And that emphasis is looking at how living a holy life affects others, especially unbelievers. So that we are not just living a holy life to please God, that is true, that is central, but we're also living a holy life for the good of others. Our holiness has an outward aspect to it. There's a simple truth that my holiness or the lack thereof affects others. My holiness is not just between me and God, but my holiness is a part of my mission to reach others with the gospel. We're called to a holy life that is lived in public that reflects positively on Jesus and his church. So as we look at this aspect of holiness this morning, our big idea, if you're following along in the outline provided for you in the bulletin, is this. God calls us to live a holy life of love and integrity for the good of others. So let's begin looking verse 9 to 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's a command to live with generous love. Follow along as I read verses 9 and 10. 
Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Paul is going to speak to them about the love that they must have for one another. Here it is described as brotherly love, emphasizing that metaphor that is so common in the Bible that believers are brothers and sisters in Christ. And he quickly recognizes that they are, in fact, a loving church. So we see in verse 9 there, you have no need for anyone to write to you. And the idea where it says that you've been taught by God, it's probably best understood as it is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit to a point where they didn't need a lot of convincing to be loving, that it was a natural outpouring of their conversions. They were good at loving, so much so that they were loving, verse 9, or verse 10, sorry, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. They were role models of love to the Christians in the whole region. If we were writing in our context, we would say that you were loving, demonstrating this to all of the churches in western Washington, to give you an idea. Now, putting aside the humor of him saying, you don't need anyone to write to you, and then he continues to write to them about it, But I want us to see the command of love to this already loving church. Again, so loving that they were role models to an entire region of how to do it. What does he say? End of verse 10. To do this more and more. We saw this when we worked through 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That again, Paul is speaking to a church already known as a loving church to be more loving. The Thessalonians are already excelling at loving others and Paul tells them to keep going. There's something for us to see in that people already viewed as loving can still be urged to be more loving. Again, something we spoke about last week, that our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of being loving people after Jesus is a continuous effort, that there is no completion. There's no point where you're like, I am done being, I'm going to be as loving as I ever was. And I'm done. Quit asking me to be more loving. Because let's be honest, if he's saying this to the Thessalonians, how much more us? How much more me? How much more you? But as you think about how do you grow in love, that's a tough question. There's definitely the easy aspect of do more loving things. There's a quantitative aspect to it. But again, in thinking, how do you tell someone who's already good at something to do it even better? Let me suggest to you another way to think about how you might grow in love. And the thing I want to present to you is this. Maybe the way that you grow 
is not necessarily an issue of quantity, but an issue of quality. Maybe God is calling you to love in different ways. Ways that you're maybe not comfortable with. Or that don't come naturally to you. It's helpful to me to think about a book by a guy named Gary Chapman. He wrote called The Five Love Languages. Now, this is not a comprehensive list, but I think it's a good place to start. He lists five love languages. Words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. And the idea that's a part of that book is everyone has a default, both to give and to receive. But let me suggest to you, using those or lists like that, that you know of, to stretch yourself to love in new ways. Maybe you are a big person with words of affirmation. You are great at encouraging people with what you say. But quality time is hard for you to give. Or maybe quality time is easy for you to give, but acts of service is difficult. Again, using lists like this can be helpful to help us move out of our comfort zone. Move out of how we live our lives because no matter how old you are, you have patterns. You have ruts. And let me suggest to you that one way you might grow in your love for one another is to love in ways that are possibly uncomfortable for you or things you've never done. But the main idea of our text is clear. All of us, no matter how loving we are, are called to always be growing in our love for one another. Even if you are a loving person, God is calling you to love more and more. Again, you see how, in contrast with last week, where holiness was emphasized on don't do these things. Here we see that a pursuit of holiness is not just no, not just don't do those things, but live out a love, a life of love. Secondly, I want us to see in the text that the second aspect of, of emphasis in this passage is to live with integrity. Let's look at verse 11. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Now for our purposes today, I'm going to summarize these three smaller commands under the heading of integrity, a life of integrity. And I'll, I'll bring that out a little bit as we look at them individually. But, but all of these, all three of these commands fit into this idea of living a good life of integrity and hard work that is respectable and responsible. So let's look at them one by one here. First of all, verse 1, to aspire to live quietly. Now everybody fill in your joke about how we need to whisper more 
or how we need to keep our voices down indoors. But that's not what it means. It's not just a a life of silence or a low volume. Rather, the person who lives quietly is not quarrelsome. They are not chaotic, erratic, or undisciplined. They are not the bull in the china shop or the Tasmanian devil from the old cartoons. The idea is of someone who practices peaceful self-control. They go about their business and they do what is right. They don't get caught in silly social media fights. They don't seek to cause trouble just for the sake of causing trouble. I'm reminded of one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 26, verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Again, the life of holiness, the life of integrity, is a life of peace and self-control. There are times when we are to ignore the fight and quietly continue in our lives. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to do it. And that leads to the second one related to that. Mind your own affairs. Quit elbowing the person next to you. Okay, guys, I can hear it up here. Okay. Now, like live quietly, there is a broadness to this. And again, that that application will be specific to your life. But what does it mean to mind your own affairs? Let me me suggest a couple things. What what must be said, first of all, is this, this is not an excuse to isolate yourself from the needs of others or a refusal to care for others who need help. Okay, that is clear in other parts of the Bible. So don't quote this to someone who needs help just because you don't want to be bothered that day. But what it does mean is that you should not stick your nose where it doesn't belong. For example, you cannot obey this and be a gossip. That's straight out. You cannot obey this and be, as 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, a busybody. Let me give some examples from from my life as a parent and what I'm sure every parent has. The first is where your kid interrupts when you're talking to the other kid, right? And you have to say to him, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to your sibling, right? So mind your own business. The other is when they want to take on the role of parent, Right? And you have to remind them, I'm the parent, you are the child. There, there's a sense of this in the idea of, of taking care of yourself. Now again, not to the exclusion of serving others. But again, not every verse speaks to everything. But take care of yourself. Before you go and meddle in someone else's life, take care of yourself first and then go help. Again, we see this in in parenting or when we have to do discipline. 
And, and when the kid is pleading their case as prosecutor against the other kid, and we have to say to them, okay, you take care of you, and I will take care of them. We can be so obsessed with what we think other people are doing wrong, and if we don't mind our own affairs, we will never be in a position to help those people. It's very simple, as I said in the sermon. Matthew 7, verse 4 and 5, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now again, even that passage is simplified, because at the end he still takes the speck out. Right? And there is an unhealthy where we're so consumed about getting ourselves ready that we never help anybody. And that's wrong. But the emphasis here is take responsibility for yourself. What do I need to do? Don't be obsessed with what other people are doing or not doing. Now again, as, as a brother and sister in Christ, there comes a point. There are other parts of the Bible that speak to you. How do we confront a brother in sin? How do we serve others? Again, this is not taking those away. But we also need to include these commands of mind your own affairs. Sometimes it's a matter of what's actually important. Do you need to make that comment? <laughs> Do you need to say that thing? Or should you just let it go? The life of integrity is a life of responsibility. And if you can't take care of yourself, why would you take responsibility for somebody else? This moves into the third category of integrity. Again, not an exhaustive list, but I think it gives you some good uh, pegs to hang your hat on here. And the third one is this, work with your hands. And to work with your hands as we instructed you. So apparently they'd already been talked to about this. And as I'll get to in a second, all this stuff is repeated in 2 Thessalonians, so they needed to be talked to about it again. But why would Paul tell the Thessalonians to work with their hands? Number one, work is a good thing. There is value to work in its various forms. And that's another application about it, that there are so many ways in which God has given us to do our work. The classic divide being white collar versus blue collar. And that all work done is good work. And the biases that we have against the other, so white collar versus blue collar, blue collar versus white collar, if we are working with what God has given us to do, then we are living a life of integrity and we should never look down on one person's work as less than ours. But there's also a problem, and we'll see this at the end of verse 12, of people being inappropriately dependent on others in the church. So if you look at verse 12 there, it ends, and be dependent on no one. 
Now, I'm careful in choosing my words here because they could be easily misunderstood. Notice I said inappropriately dependent on others. The people that Paul has in mind with his command to work with their hands are those who can work and are voluntarily choosing not to. And this was not to be done. Okay, this, this has nothing to do with the ministry to widows that existed in the early church. This is not talking to, you know, those six-year-olds who aren't carrying their weight around the house. No. These are those who are able to work but are choosing not to and are inappropriately being dependent on the love of others. Part of your life of integrity is, is working with what God gave you. And if God has given you a skill and the opportunity and the health to work, then you work. And that is good and right. Part of living a holy life is taking responsibility for ourselves and those who are dependent on us. But doing good work Doing well at your job is actually a part of your life of holiness. Reminds us of where else the Bible speaks of everything you do. Do it all for the glory of God. How you act at work does matter to the Lord. And when we are able to provide for ourselves, for our families, and for others who cannot provide for themselves, we are living a life of holiness and integrity. Something I alluded to earlier that I want to come back to at this point is that when you look at these commands as they're listed here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, these themes are brought up again almost identically, but with stronger language in the book of 2 Thessalonians. If you want to look it up, it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. And these ideas of living respectfully and quietly and hardworking, the Thessalonians needed to hear again. In this repetition, I want us to see God's graciousness to the Thessalonians and to us but I also want you to see the importance of what is being said here. Sometimes repetition in the Bible helps us to see importance. And apparently it was important enough to God to have Paul write it again to the Thessalonians and then have Paul record it for us again. God cares about your life of integrity. God cares about working with the gifts he has given you and living a quiet and respectful life. With that being said, I want to look to verse 12, where again Paul gives us a different emphasis of purpose. So if last week when we were looking in verses 1 to 8, we saw a life walking in a way that pleases the Lord, here we see verse 12. Verse 12, so that, good purpose word right there, you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. 
one of the purposes of living a holy life is that a holy life can be seen by those outside. So the word outsiders here is just another way to talk about unbelievers, those who do not belong to the church. That we're called to walk properly or respectfully in a way that is respectful to the public at large. Now, it is true that there will be times when the world sees our holy lives, our pursuit of holiness, as disrespectful. But again, as you look at the smaller commands of this passage, generally speaking, if you live quietly, if you take care of your own needs, if you keep your own affairs and you work hard, generally speaking, those are seen as respectable to any culture. Even unbelievers can appreciate a generously loving person. What we need to see here is that our holy lives are a part of our witness to Christ. How you live speaks a message to those who do not yet know Jesus. I may have used this example before. But one time, uh, Darcy and I were having a conversation with a parent we knew in the community. And we were talking, sometimes her, her kid would come over and play with our kids. And she flat out told us, look, I don't, I don't agree with how you guys parent. <laughs> but what she did say was that when her kid was over at our house, she knew what to expect and could at least trust what we were doing. And I think, for me, that's helpful in understanding what does it mean to walk properly towards outsiders. That they may not agree with what we're doing, but they can respect and trust that we will act in a way that is loving, good, and peaceful. They may think we're nuts, but they'll trust us with the things that matter. So will we be people of integrity? Will we be trustworthy? Will we be respectable? Or will we live lives that negatively reflect on Jesus and his church? If we're reckless and lazy, what does that say about Jesus? So we claim to follow Jesus and the holy life he describes, but yet we act like this, what do you think they're going to think? Paul tells us that we are to live lives of love and integrity that build up the reputation of Jesus to an outside world. A couple points of application as we close this morning. Number one, pursue growth in your love for others. Maybe it is just as simple as, I want to find more ways to serve others. I, I've been slacking. I've not been obedient to God's commands. But maybe also for you, it's, it's an issue of quality. 
It's an issue of, I, I, this is my normal way to express love or demonstrate love and care. Now I'm going to try this thing, even though I'm really scared of it. And in that way, we, we are part of this ongoing movement of growth in love and holiness. And remember, if Paul can call the Thessalonians to love more, how much more us? Number two, pursue a life of integrity. In our passage, these were described as working hard, living a peaceful life, and minding our own business. In all of these commands, we see the larger ideas of self-control and responsibility. There is a call by God to do what he has called us to do, to do the hard work of living our lives in a way that is respectable. Not a life of unhealthy dependence, laziness, or chaos, but a life that is mature, calm, and responsible. And finally, number three, remember that your life represents Jesus and the church to the outside world. When people observe your life, does it make Jesus and the church look better or worse? We are being watched. And, and whether people are even do it consciously or not, if you claim to be a Christian, people are going to watch to see if you're a hypocrite. That's just how it is. Live in a way that is respectable and reflects positively on Jesus. Our lives of holiness support and uplift our work of evangelism so that outsiders can become brothers and sisters in Christ. A true believer lives a life of holiness for the gospel good of others. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. That by your spirit that you would use this text in 1 Thessalonians to grow us in holiness, to grow us in love, to grow us in maturity, to be more like Jesus so that we better reflect you to the outside world. That our lives of holiness would point people to the gospel instead of driving them away from Jesus. God, we thank you for your word that we would all engage in the lifelong process of growing in love and holiness and integrity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.